In this episode, we'll be speaking with Wish alum Samantha Idan. In 1996, Samantha's wish to go to Walt Disney World was granted by Make-A-Wish Hudson Valley. Samantha is now married with a young child and is a two-time cancer survivor. Here is Samantha Idan. Samantha, aka Sam, welcome to the Wish House Podcast. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. We are so excited to have you. Um, you were one of those guests that I was you know, itching to talk to because you and I always have chatted over the years. Um, and one of the funniest things that will always come up in our early conversations was how you had very little memory of your wish. And <laughs> that was one of the things you came up to me real quick and you were like, I want to be part of Make-A-Wish and this alumni committee, but I don't really remember my wish. And yeah. I think that's the reality for a lot of kids because for those that are listening in, the referral age for a child to be referred to us is two and a half years old. You know, when you're referred at such a young age and you have a wish when you're three, four, five, six years old, like in your case, Sam, yeah. um, the recollections of those memories are kind of fuzzy, especially when you have gone through treatment, which right. gives you chemo fog, which yeah. let's talk about that because that is a reality so, that I still have. Do same. you still have that? Um, well, you know, I didn't have it for many years, but, um, since I recently actually undergone chemo again, um, the chemo brain is definitely front and center, um, in my day-to-day -day living, um, and couple that with like mommy brain. It's just, we're at like high levels of disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> organized mess. That's what I like to call yeah. it in my house. And, but before we go into your, your current kind of what you're doing now and, and the challenges that you face, you know, now in adulthood, you know, let's go back to 1996, which is when your wish was granted when yeah. you were just six years old. And it was around the time of your birthday from what I saw yes. was that planned. Was that something that you were really looking forward to? Um, so I remember Actually, I do remember when the wish granters came to my house Okay, and they asked me what I wanted to do. We all sat around our kitchen table and my family was there and the wish granters asked me what I wanted. And I told them because I had never really been on vacation or anything before I said to them, I want to go to Kutcher's and Kutcher's was like this little like dinky hotel in the Catskills. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and my parents look at me and they go, you don't want to go to Kutcher's. You want to go to Disney World, Samantha. And it, and I remember the wish people actually saying, you, you can't tell her what she wants. She needs to decide for herself. And if it's that she wants to go to Kutcher's, we're going to send you to Kutcher's. But we also want to make her aware that anything is possible. But they said, what do you really, really want? What's a place you've always dreamed of going or doing or someone you've always wanted to meet? And I said, Mickey Mouse. And um, they said, so that's true. I guess you do want to go to Disney World. So I said, yes. And that's sort of how that came about, that wish to go to Disney and to stay in that village um, where the garbage cans talk. Like, I remember little things, you know, um, they had like a little shuttle and um, an ice cream shop and I can go by myself and I didn't have to worry about being safe because everyone there was there for you um, and to make your experience amazing. Um, and yeah, I did go, it was, I, I'm seeing here, it was 1126. Um, 
I guess so right after hum, not Halloween, there's that see the chemo brain. Um, it was right after Thanksgiving and we were sent for a week. Um, and it was magical. Um, and it was after I finished treatment. I think that's why they wanted me to wait a little, um, to make sure I felt okay. Um, and so I don't think it was like purposely near my birthday, but I think it was just coincided sort of with when I finished active treatment. And so, um, we decided to go then. That's so, amazing. And yeah. for our listeners, you know, just as a friendly reminder, whenever we have kids that go to Walt Disney World, many times we have those families and those kids stay at uh, Give Kids the World where yeah. you can have ice cream all day throughout the day. They have rides and activities throughout the entire time that you're there. Yep. Every day they are dropping off gifts in your room. Um, they even have characters from Disney World that go and visit the kids on the property of Give Kids the World. It's truly a partnership between Disney, Give Kids the World, and Make-A-Wish um, America. And it's one of the coolest uh, wishes that we grant. It's one of the more popular wishes that we grant. Um, oh. And just for you, Sam, I don't know if you know this. It may be something you want to add to your, your scrapbook of memories of your wish. But just so that you're aware, your wish number is 526. So, huh? you know, we were still pretty early. Oh, really? I mean, we were established in 1986. And okay. your wish was granted 10 years after that. And 10 years in, at that point of when your wish was granted, your wish was number 526. So oh. you can take that to the bank. That's like that official. <laughs> well, I don't know why. It, you know why? Because every wish is important. We're on the path right now to grant 3,000 wishes. That's what oh, wow. we'll be able to get to. We're over 2,900 wishes in. Um, but our hope is that we can hit 3,000 you know, hopefully in our anniversary year, that would be fantastic. But if we can't, for whatever reason, um, you know, we're hoping to hit it early on in, in 2022. But um, that's our goal is to try to grant as many wishes as we can when we can. But every wish is important, like yours, because, um, you know, we know that it's having an impact on a life. And, you know, yeah. speaking of which, what type of impact has Make-A-Wish had on your life? Because I know when you and I first met, it was a long time ago. It was in 2008. It was yeah. during a, um, <laughs> an alumni committee meeting, meeting, which, again, to our listeners, as a friendly reminder, we were the first chapter to have established an alumni committee group, which is yeah. comprised of wish recipients um, that want to give back and want to pay it forward in whatever way they could, whether it was sharing their story, volunteering, helping out at events, and really are, are part of our fabric of our volunteer base. Um, but yeah, we met back in 2008. And like I said, it was always fun. It was always a fun conversation. I think that that was sort of the first time I like reconnected with my cancer story because for a long time, I didn't want to really associate myself with it. Um, you know, I did daily because I have these scars that sort of remind me um, of that part of my life. But I wanted to just be like any other high school kid. And I didn't want to have to think about my past and sort of um, only brought it up when I felt it was helpful to others or um, could, I guess, benefit me also in some way. <laughs> hey, listen, I, my entire college essay was all about exactly. my cancer diagnosis. <laughs> so That's what I'm talking about. Ride that wave as far as you can. Yeah. And so that for me, that was, um, 
actually when you read when Make-A-Wish reached out, it was around the time I was writing college essays. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, maybe it would be good to get involved now that I sort of drummed up all of those memories for my essay <laughs> um, <laughs> to get into college, you know. <laughs> um, it's time to maybe bring it back and make it a happier memory to like take with me mm -hmm. um, and not sort of hide, hide it um, because it is a huge part of me. Um, it's not something I want to hide anymore. Um, I'm actually really proud of it. Um, you well, know, they say that scars tell, let the world know where we've been and what we've been through to survive a cancer diagnosis. Um, at such a young age, mm -hmm. to me, that's like such a badge of honor, we can call it. Yes. Um, and so now I have like, I have a lot of scars, you know, um, I had my kidney removed. Um, I also had the tumor removed. They did exploratory surgery. Um, I had a Broviac, um, which I don't think are things anymore. I don't know if people still do Broviac, I but, no idea. um, and then I had some biopsies when they thought the cancer had spread to my lung. Sometimes like I'll get stares, um, but my scars have actually faded quite a bit, but they're, they're large. Like it's across the whole right side. It's not like surgery today. Uh, yeah. <laughs> isn't that wild? Because <laughs> no, but that's so true because to put everything into context for those that are listening with, you know, kids that are, you know, like us that were survivors, um, you know, back in the, 80s and 90s a lot of this stuff it was all experimentation they were like oh well let's try this let's see yeah. if this works it was for exactly. for kids and um because back in the day kids that had a lot of the stuff that you and i had back then would not have survived um right. and so there was a lot of so the fact that we're still here is a a, a, a real miracle in a lot of right. ways and you know there was a lot of those things that i mean i know i the the type of uh, chemo that i had is cisplatin which my understanding is one of the strongest um, or not, if not the strongest, you know, yeah. type of, you know, chemo you can get. And I was getting that like in huge doses at like 15 years old, 16 yeah. years old. And there was other kids that were a lot younger than me that were having it, you know, as well. And, yeah. you know, and, and that brings us to the whole thing about what happens afterwards. What are right. the, the, the effects of these types of treatments on, on young kids now going into adulthood? What right. are some of those side effects? And I know you're, you recently have dealt with some of those side effects, right? Because actually, even before that, let's just say that you mentioned it already. You had a Wilms tumor when you were yes. younger. That's what um, made you eligible to receive a wish. And then you had that removed. I, yeah, so um, exactly. I, um, I was diagnosed with Wilms tumor. Um, I want to say stage three, I'm pretty sure. Um, stage three Wilms tumor um, in 1995. Um, I was four and a half um, and it actually, I was diagnosed because I had bumped into my nightstand when I was sleeping and it hemorrhaged. It caused the tumor to begin to hemorrhage um, and leak. Uh, and I was in excruciating pain. Um, and so I was taken to Good Sam, the hospital that's right near me in Rockland County um, and my pediatrician I, I mean, this is not from my memory. This is from stories, but right. the pediatrician um, who was my family doctor said, I think she has cancer. Send her immediately to um, 
Babies Hospital at Columbia. Um, and that's what it used to be called. Now it's called, I think, Morgan Stanley. So um, we went right there. Um, I was diagnosed basically on the spot um, with uh, this Wilms tumor that was about, I think they said it was like a five pound tumor. It was a very large um, and in this like tiny little body, you know, um, and I don't really remember like what happened and unfolded at that point. Um, I remember little bits and pieces, um, throughout my story. Um, like I remember waking up after surgery and seeing everyone sort of standing around me, um, and them telling me that they got the, the bad cancer out, um, and like little things like that. But yeah, I also went through 15 weeks of chemotherapy. Um, I think it was like, not 15 weeks, I'm sorry, 15 months. Um, it was seven weeks on, uh, no, it was one week on five days a week. And then I had a break for seven weeks and then I did it again. Um, and I was also on a very strong chemo drug. Um, I was on adriamycin um, and I think doxorubicin or if those are the same thing, I'm not even sure. Um, I know one of them is actually referred to as the red devil because it's bright red. Um, so people give it that in a little nickname. Um, and you can actually only have eight doses in a lifetime. Um, and I had eight doses as a child. So, um, it was definitely strong, you know, that chemo is no joke. Um, and it made me sick and I never felt good. I didn't feel like a normal kid, you know, um, I had surgery once the chemo, um, made the tumor shrink down to an acceptable size. Um, thankfully it responded. Um, they removed it and then I had radiation. Um, I had only seven days of radiation. They wanted to do the lowest amount possible. So they did the lowest dose and the shortest time. Um, so it was only seven days, but you know, these things have repercussions and have effects on our body. And because my, um, tumor was in my kidney, my field where they had to give me the radiation was quite large. Um, and so it, and the radiation's not like today, it's not targeted the same way. Uh, and my mom at the time said, do whatever you need to do to save her life. You know, we'll think about the issues later. Um, I just want her to live. And I can't say that I would make a different choice for my kid, you know, um, and it made me live. I'm here today. Um, and honestly, I had a pretty normal childhood after that. I got a lot of UTIs, you know, one kidney. Um, but other than that, you know, I really lived a really normal, regular childhood with checkups every six months or, and then when I got older every year to make sure my heart was functioning. Okay. Because of that adriamycin. Um, and from like an age of 15, they're telling me when I'm 15, like you might not be able to have a kid. And I'm like, I'm 15. Like, I don't care right now. Right. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, I'll worry about that later. Like when it's time to worry about it. Um, and so long story short, I did have a kid uh, <laughs> hey. I'm able to get pregnant. Um, they always said 
getting pregnant for you might not be the issue. It's holding the child till, till term. And that actually proved to be very true in my case. Um, because of the radiation, um, it caused just some issues with my reproductive system and, um, like my uterus couldn't stretch the same way and just other issues. Um, and I made it to 26 weeks. Um, and one day I hold on to that day because I worked really hard to keep my little baby inside. Um, and thankfully I actually, um, delivered at Columbia. (laughs) So we came full circle. Um, and my son was immediately placed in the NICU. Um, and he stayed there for 108 days. Um, but he is three and a half t- today. Um, he's perfectly healthy and he's really, he's just, I call him my miracle man. Um, he brings like such joy into my life. Um, and I'm just so grateful that, you know, Columbia saved my life and then they saved my son's life. And Honestly, they're saving mine again. (laughs) So, um, you know, I just am so thankful that even though I had that treatment, I was still able to have my son. Um, He came out at 26 weeks. Like I said, he was severely premature, but um, my body did it. You know, I was still able to carry my son and um, before my most recent diagnosis, which we'll get into probably in a little bit, um, I was actually on track to be fine to have more kids. Um, and they figured out like a way to keep the child in for longer because Western medicine has come so far. Um, I'm not right now allowed to carry children, unfortunately, but I had viable eggs that they were able to retrieve um, before I started my new treatment. And so, I can have more kids, you know, through surrogacy and thanks again to modern medicine, you know, um, while I won't be able to carry them, like they're still going to be my children. Um, and so there's like that hope that even though I had that chemo and it wreaked havoc on my body and the radiation, like I'm still here and I'm still thriving. Um, and I think it's just such a message of hope, like, that there is life after a cancer diagnosis. Um, so yeah, I know that rant went on for a little bit, but I I loved it. It was one of the most beautiful rants that, (laughs) you know, we've had on the podcast because that's no, but that's the reality. You know, um, when you have that six year old little kid that we share on social media or we share it on our website and you see them and, and people feel connected to them in some way, you always wonder, or I know for myself, I always wonder, do they think about what happens to that kid after? Right. Um, and, you know, our wish alum, like you and myself and, uh, and many, many others, uh, you know, our lives go on. I mean, with challenges, with like anybody else. Um, and sometimes it's as a result of the treatment we receive. Sometimes it's as a result of our family life. You know, there's we're human just like everybody else. But there is something about, you know, kids within the Make-A-Wish world that, Man, there's a special connection that we have with each other. Um, it's part of this amazing network. There's something on it's it's I don't know how to explain it, um, but there's some because you and I we haven't talked in how long? Yeah, uh, 
been a while. A long time. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't feel like we missed a beat yeah. from that yesterday, conversation. Yesterday we went to Applebee's that all those years ago and we're very common. <laughs> yeah, remember that? And, you know, yeah. and that's when we were trying different things. You know, we were trying to have meetings, you know, all throughout the counties that we serve, trying to make it accessible to the kids that are in those counties or the alumni that are in those counties. And we tried a lot of different things to try to engage, but like everything else, life changes and priorities change and the availability for a lot of the wish alums changed over yeah. the, uh, that time. I mean, I moved to Israel for a while, so. That's right. I thought this was going to be an international podcast <laughs> when I, when we scheduled this. And then I find out, you know, during our pre-call that you are um, actually back in the United States. You, I am. You did live in Israel for a few years. How was that experience living out in Israel? It was great. You know, it was definitely different. Um, I did miss my family. Um, so that was kind of hard. Uh, and actually I didn't go to any of my like survivor wellness checkups when I was there. So that was something I sort of was missing as well. Um, it was definitely a great experience and I loved it. Um, I missed the four seasons of like having that we have here in New York. Um, right. cause there it was basically like winter for two weeks and then summer, but, um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, I just, you know, I always say, um, being a cancer patient or survivor, um, I like to call it an exclusive club that no one asks to be a part of. So you meet all these like wonderful, amazing people, and you just have this bond and this connection that you can't get anywhere else because no one else gets it. Um, and I think it's just this crazy feeling like you're, you understand like this core value that sits inside of me as well. Um, and that's why it feels like, you know, you can pick up from any point and just keep going um, and without missing a beat because we know at our core what the other person's values are. And I think that once you have that cancer diagnosis, life's never, you can't ever go back to, to the way it was before you heard those words. Everyone who hears those words sort of just gets it. And we don't take our life for granted. Um, and you know what, there was a while where I kind of did, like I forgot, um, what it was like to, to live, um, in a hospital and like constantly be in treatment or worried. Um, and so for a while I forgot what that was like, but it, I think it was always at my core. Um, and life is just such a blessing. Um, and even if, you know, you're at that point where you're in treatment and it's really rough and you're like, when is this going to end? There will be a respite regardless of if it's, um, you know, curable or, um, something that, you know, you can't cure, but there's definitely going to be a respite where you say, I'm at peace now. Um, and I'm living right now for me. And I think that that's such an important lesson because it just shows us like what this life is and like, what a, an amazing and beautiful thing it is to just be able to wake up in the morning and take a breath and stand on our two feet and say, like, I'm here for another day. Um, 
And so it's just, yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely agree with you. Like it's an, it's a special network of people who um, just get one another. Absolutely. And, and, and speaking of which, I mean, you recently had a cancer diagnosis. So, you know, and that was the result of the treatment that you received when you, when you were a kid. Right. So take us through that. Cause I know that's one of the biggest fears that a lot of our wish alum think about, you know, and, and I know I thought about it and think about it every single day. How did that happen? How did you kind of find out and, and, um, you know, tell us a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you brought us back to that. So I, um, growing up, it was always in the back of my head, you know, I have a stomach ache. Oh, my cancer's back. Um, oh, I have a headache. Oh, I have a brain tumor. You know, anytime something would happen, I was genuinely terrified to tell anyone because I was afraid I was going to go to the doctor. The doctor was going to say, you have, oh, your head is brain cancer or, um, you're, elbow hurts. You have elbow cancer, you know, like as a kid, you don't understand like how it really works. And so that was something that always really made me afraid. And especially from the Wilms tumor, I got a lot of UTIs um, because I was running on one kidney and maybe, you know, I was just prone to bacteria, but every time I would get one, I would be afraid to tell somebody um, because I was like the cancer's back this, this bad cancer that was in my body that they got out of me, it's back. Um, and so, yeah, it was scary, um, growing up. And even as an adult, like I would have anxiety about it and I would think, you know, going to sleep at night, I'd say, Oh, I have a, I have a migraine. Okay. It's a brain tumor. And then, you know, rationally, I'd be like the likelihood that it's just a headache is much more common. Um, but it was always back there. You know, the thoughts are, definitely always back there. And, um, so in 2019, um, I was actually in Israel, (laughs) um, for a wedding for a very close friend of mine. And I, um, noticed like changes, um, to my, um, chest and I, I was getting dressed for the wedding and my hand sort of like, um, smoothed like over, like I was getting dressed. And so my hand fell and I felt a lump and I was like, okay, uh, that's strange. Like that wasn't there a little while ago. Um, and I then was, I noticed, you know, I, I went on Dr. Google as they like to call it, which is never a good Good idea. idea, Um, And I Googled, you know, lump, on my chest. And they, what I understood was basically if it's just a lump and you're young, the likelihood of it being something is very low. If it's paired with another symptom or a change that you're noticing, that's worth getting it checked out. And so I had another symptom, another change that I noticed. Um, and so I went to a doctor, um, in Israel actually, and they, said, you know, you're very young, which is something I really, I'll get into later, but you're very young, um, you're healthy, um, you do have that medical history of cancer, but um, it's, you know, the lump is mobile, it feels smooth, I'm sure you're fine. Now, if I hadn't been a cancer survivor, I don't know that I would continue and check up on it again. Um, But because my brain 
is always on high alert. I, when I came home, I went to my gynecologist. I said, um, can you send me please for an ultrasound? And she said, because of your history, I'm going to send you. Two days later, I went, um, I had an ultrasound. They said that looks suspicious. Um, I did a mammogram. Um, and at that same appointment, they actually did a biopsy. Um, that same day, the radiologist called me into the office. Like this is all in one appointment. Yeah. I have to say that's not common where you yeah. get like a same day diagnosis. Cause yeah. that was the same thing with me. Like I got the same day diagnosis. I went in for yeah. a biopsy and they were like, yep. Oh, you have stage four cancer. I'm like, what? Like yeah. I just came for a biopsy. What are you talking yeah, about? You're like, what are you talking about? Right. You know, I was going with this notion, like, okay, I'm just crazy in the head. Like I, it's just because I'm a cancer survivor that I'm constantly thinking, you know? Um, but the radiologist called me into his office. Um, and he said, you know, I've done thousands of these. I've looked at thousands of, um, results from mammograms and ultrasounds. And this to me looks like breast cancer. And he said, if I had to guess, I'd say stage two or stage three, based on the fact that you also have some lymph node involvement. And at that point, I said, all of my um, advocacy was worth it because I stood up for what I needed and what I felt was right. And at the end of the day, if it was nothing and it was benign, I would at least know the answer. Um, and so to me, I was like, this is worth it because look at me, I caught this on my own when people told me, no, you're young, you're too young, you're fine, you're healthy. Um, and so that was like something from that moment on, I was like, I'm always going to make sure to be my biggest advocate. Um, and so I was diagnosed with this breast cancer basically on the spot. I reconnected with my pediatric oncologist. I asked for a referral to a doctor. Um, she set me up with the breast oncology unit at Columbia. And I met with a surgeon. Um, and then the next day I met with my medical oncologist. And when I was meeting with my medical oncologist, I said, you know, when I take a deep breath, it kind of hurts. And it's been that way for months. But I just thought like this back pain that I'm having, I just kind of thought it's like motherhood. And like every mom must feel this way, you know, because all my friends are saying like, yeah, my back hurts, blah, blah. And she goes, you know what, I'm going to send you downstairs for a CT because I can't let you leave now that you told me that. She sends me downstairs. The CT shows um, that it's actually metastasized to my bones. Um, so I was diagnosed at that point with stage four, um, triple positive, um, invasive ductal carcinoma, which is a breast cancer. Um, and I'm still to this day in treatment. I, um, that day was, that was a hard day that July 26th of 2019, um, through August 4th of 2019 were, I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't breathe. Um, I was like, I can't believe this is happening to me again. Um, they didn't know how I got it. They couldn't link it to anything. And then when they sort of got a radiation oncologist on board, they looked at my old scans um, from my radiation as a child. 
and they linked my radiation of my right side to my breast cancer, which was found on my right side. Um, And now would I change anything going back 20 something years to 1995? No, because it gave me 20 something years of remission from all cancer diagnoses, you know, Um, it saved my life. It allowed me to have a child and to get married and to just live. Um, And so I'm still super grateful for that treatment, even though it probably gave me this cancer. Um, You know, I, I went through six rounds of high dose chemotherapy Um, I had a double mastectomy. I had some lymph nodes removed, um, and I had 40 rounds of radiation, um, some to my met, my met areas, um, in my spine, um, which actually that spine pain that I was having was a met, um, was metastasis to my spine, um, which actually caused a fracture in my back, um, that's how big that tumor was. It was actually bigger than my original tumor in, in like the breast cancer. Um, it was my largest tumor. Um, this day right now today, I'm proud to say that that tumor is completely dead. Um, they killed it with chemo with radiation. And then I had a surgery to fix the fracture, which also killed it even more. Um, All of my other met areas are completely not active. Um, My cancer from my breast and lymph nodes have been removed. And I am right now, as we like to call it, NED, um, which means no evidence of disease. So it's like such a huge thing to celebrate. Um, Yes. Can we celebrate? Let's celebrate. Definitely celebrate it. as you can see my face, uh, like like, my, uh, for those that are listening, you don't have the, the <laughs> pleasure to see Sam right now. She has this huge smile from ear to ear. Um, it's truly one of those inspiring stories. Um, you know, you're, 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 you're giving hope to so many people that are, have, are either following your journey, which we'll talk about in a little bit online, um, or are listening to this podcast because there is, like you said, you said it earlier, you know, it pro- everything's about hope, hope for another day. And you are, are living it right now. You're in the middle of that hope. Yeah. Um, and I, I can't lie, you know, in the beginning of the diagnosis, it was a very dark time for me. Um, this reoccurrence, not a reoccurrence cause it's not Wilms, but this new diagnosis, um, you know, I, I had this feeling of, you know, I already had my turn. (laughs) I don't, why, why me again, you know? Um, But then I also was thinking, you know, I'd rather it be me than my child. Um, And so I actually got genetically tested to see if I had any mutation that I could have passed on to my child when I was diagnosed with this breast cancer. Um, And they have a gene now to test for Wilms. Um, Wow. Sometimes Wilms is a genetic um, mutation that you're born with, and then you're at very high risk to develop Wilms tumor. And so I was actually really nervous because, 
my son was two and it, as we know, it's a childhood cancer. Right. Um, and so I was like anxiously awaiting those results. Um, and they actually, they came back negative. Um, I came back negative for all genetic mutations. They tested me right. for about 84. <laughs> so, and that's at that point, they sort of were able to link it to the radiation. Um, and so when I started um, treatment, my oncologist said she was very hopeful because number one, I'm very young. Um, so I have a very strong body. Um, another thing is that the type of breast cancer that I was diagnosed with um, is very is usually very treatable um, in the sense that it reacts very strongly to the chemo. So she gave me choices. She definitely gave me options. You know, she said we can go this very aggressive route. Um, I never usually give this option to stage four cancer patients because they're not always as young as you and quality of life is something that's very important. Um, but I chose that aggressive route. I said, I'd rather have this temporary sort of terrible experience to give me years and years and years on my life. And when I was in the middle of it, I was sort of questioning, you know, <laughs> did I make the right call here? <laughs> um, and the chemo was rough. I was hospitalized several times due to complications um, and just, you know, it weakening my body. Um, but my medical team was unbelievable. And I was a, my biggest advocate throughout the whole time. And I made it through. I finished December 11th of 2019 with all my chemo. I had my mastectomy January 17th of 2020. I finished radiation June 12th of 2020. These are all such important days that stick out in my mind. And I'm on maintenance treatment um, due to the fact that my cancer is hormone fueled. Um, you have to always stay on treatment because I'm premenopausal, mm -hmm. um, which is fine. Uh, you know, if it gives me life, leave me on treatment forever. Um, yeah. <laughs> just let me live, you know. Um, my quality of life now is wonderful. I am mainly pain-free. Um, I have a little bit of chronic pain, but nothing that stops me from doing anything that I want to do. Um, every three weeks I go in, I have my little port still. I go in for my hormone treatment um, and... I go in, I get some shots to put me in menopause, keep me there so I can stay healthy and we can keep this cancer at no evidence of disease. Um, you know, I go for scans every three months to make sure. And so far we've been, you know, stable and no evidence of disease. So everything's working as it should. And my body's fighting this and I'm just, in awe of what my body is capable of. Um, yeah. So. And, I, and I have to say, you know, for those that are listening in, if you want to follow Sam's journey, she has an amazing uh, Instagram account, <laughs> support underscore Sam, and we'll be sure to share it in the show notes so that you can go ahead and, and follow her journey because, I mean, you really go deep in there. I mean, you're showing yeah. photos, <laughs> very intimate photos of you throughout treatment, what is it that motivated you, one, to create the page, and then two, to kind of really 
you know, look behind the curtains of what you're dealing, you were dealing with on a day to day, like kind of what, what got you there to that point? Um, it's a really good question because at first I sort of, when I was diagnosed, I wanted to hide away, um, similar to earlier when we were talking about how I didn't want to sort of show that side of me, um, growing up. And so when I was first diagnosed, I I was in a dark space um, in my mind, you know, um, thinking of the worst possible scenarios. And um, my oncologist asked me if before I started chemotherapy treatment, if I wanted to go ahead and freeze eggs for the future. And just the fact that she asked me that and was talking about my future made me realize like, okay, I'm going to have a future. Um, and I can plan that, you know? Uh, and so I did actually go ahead with the freezing of the eggs. Um, I had about like, and this is something also that they said, you know, you may not have eggs. You may go into menopause when you're 30. Um, when I was growing up and I got three eggs, um, and then we had, three embryos that made it to fertilization and are now frozen waiting for me. I call them my triplets. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I have my little triplets in the, in the bank um, waiting for when I'm ready, but it was actually someone there at the fertility clinic um, who gave me the idea. She was talking to me and I was just telling her about everything that I was going through and, you know, my past um, cancer diagnosis of the Wilms. And I was like sort of joking around some dark humor in there. And she goes, you know, you should make an Instagram page. I think that you would be really good with that. You know, it's like one, I think it would help you sort of come to terms with everything, but also it could help others. And it was at that point where I said, I want to help other people. And I want to show like life doesn't end when you get cancer you know, you can still live a really full and meaningful life during cancer and after cancer. And, um, even if, you know, even if the cancer is terminal, which at the time of diagnosis, I thought I was terminal. Um, the term that they like to use now is chronic, um, for stage four breast cancer. Um, because of all the new treatments that are available. And so I started the page. I was like, I don't know if anyone's going to even want to follow me. Um, (laughs) But I was like, I'm going to start it nonetheless, because if anything, it's like a diary. It's like a journaling experience. Um, And it's something that my son can look back at and be like, wow, my mom is awesome. You know, warrior. (laughs) That's what they call you, uh, you know, on your page that you are a warrior. And I think, You represent you represent all of our wish kids because they are warriors. They're going yeah. through stuff that adults, you know, fear like forget about it, right? And they're going through it at four, five, six years old, um, and dealing with this like really intense treatment and intent and just having to face their mortality at that right. age. At such a young age, when you don't have that really like concrete thinking right. or understanding. Um, I mean, I didn't understand it really when I was four, it definitely made me mature a lot faster. Um, but in a way that made me not take life for granted, um, and be excited, like, oh, I can go to the playground and play with other kids now. Um, 
I'm not immunocompromised, you know? Um, and so actually that leads me to what I'm going to do as a professional. Um, oh, I'm perfect. Let's go to it. Hey, I'm going to be graduating with my master's in palliative social work. Um, I am so excited because I want to work with um, the oncology population and sort of just give back um, to that community that did so much for me. Um, I remember when I was going through treatment, I had a child life specialist. I always said, I want to be her when I'm grown up. And while I'm not becoming a child life specialist, I'm becoming a palliative social worker because I just, um, well, one, I don't know. I like also working with adults, um, but I just um, was drawn to it. The, the field of social work and helping people. And um, I do actually plan to also get certified to be a child life specialist later on, but this just seemed like the right move at the time. And I'm just so excited um, to give back to all of those kids and all of those people who are sort of navigating cancer day by day. Um, I mean, I'm probably not going to tell people that I had cancer just because I don't know that it would help them. But um, for me, it's at the core of why I want to do what I want to do. Um, and I think it's going to help me professionally to sort of um, help them, you know, just become as best as they can be. And children going through cancer are the strongest people ever. I mean, to be a child and to be hooked up to machines and to have to, you know, sometimes miss out on things that normal kids get to do, um, that there is nobody stronger. Um, and so I just want to be able to bear witness to that and sort of walk alongside them as they become and grow into that like fierce being. Um, and so I'm very excited to graduate and to um, be able to give back and help kids. So. Man, I got I got to say that was one of the biggest mic drops that you could have had. <laughs> Um, because you know, there's, where could we go from there? I mean, this has been one of the most amazing episodes because we went through a whole roller coaster of emotions there, um, from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs. And really, you know, what better way to kind of go, you know, end this part of our conversation than to leave it right there where you're giving back to the community that you receive so much from, um, and, you know, that's just amazing. And, and if you're not, if those that are listening are not inspired to give back to their community after hearing what, what you just shared with us, um, I don't know what would. Um, and I think that's a perfect segue into the next section of our podcast, which is our shooting star segment, which is a series of questions where you say the first thing that comes to mind. And I know it's kind of weird <laughs> switching gears this way. So out of all the memories that you have with Make-A-Wish um, over the years, you know, what would you say is one of your favorite Make-A-Wish Hudson Valley memories? Um, 
Wow. I'd say definitely my wish. Uh, even though I don't remember all of it, I do remember the village, the Give Kids the World village. I remember getting online at Space Mountain and these people tried to follow us and pretend to be far, part of my family <laughs> <laughs> um, because I had my little button um, that yes. allowed me to skip the line. Um, Which actually, let me share that with our listeners. So for our yeah. listeners that aren't aware, when you are a Make-A-Wish kid, one of the cool things, and again, spoiler alert for all the kids that may be listening to this podcast, uh, uh. just a heads up. <laughs> You know, one of the things we give our wish kids is a Make-A-Wish button, which is this big blue Make-A-Wish button. Now, what Give Kids the World does, which is, again, the place where our families are hosted for the most part when they go to Disney World, they're also given a button that that, that shows that they're part of the Give Kids the World, you know, family. And for those that are listening in, you can't see it, but Sam has hers on from back in 1996 when her wish was granted. It says it. There you go. Yeah, has the date and everything. Um, and that's one of the things that the kids still receive today. Looks a little different, but still the same. Sure. Now a pink, it's like a pinkish purplish button. Okay, but prettier. <laughs> a little a little bit, but it's still cool. I still have my Make-A-Wish wishbone shirt from when I went on my wish, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. But for those that are listening, again, you know, you get these two buttons and that's pretty much like your VIP pass when you're over yeah. there. And you know, I'm not surprised that some random stranger wanted to jump onto your family you know, bandwagon and be like, yo, I, I want to get on these rides with you um, and try <laughs> to follow you where you were going. That's insane. That's I've never heard that before. That's yeah. And they look the people on the ride go, wow, you have a big family. And um, <laughs> I said, I don't know those people. <laughs> wow. And then they were kicked off the ride. Actually, they weren't Good. allowed to go onto the ride. Um, but yeah, that was one memory. And then. Um, Another memory was just being in the village. I remember there was a garbage can that anytime you threw something in it, it would talk and it would say like, um, num, thank you. Uh, <laughs> and I loved it. I would pick up like garbage everywhere. Not that there's garbage everywhere, but I would make like my mom give me her like straw like holder and like throw it in. And, and then I'd go back and throw something else in. Um, and it, just like. That's awesome. That feeling of being free in a space where it's designed for children. I think it, it was just so magical because there's no place like that, you know, where you can just be like, mom, I'm going to the ice cream shop. And she's like, okay, bye. And I was like six. Um, yeah. So that was something that was, that really sticks out in my mind. Um, just like how kind everyone was and, um, never treated me like differently just because I had no hair. Like they just treated me like a six-year-old kid, like who was this like fierce little six-year-old, you know? Um, so yeah, that was such a wonderful time. I wish I could go again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, you know, as a, as a give kids the world um, wish kid, you know, you could always give them a call. If you're ever in Kissimmee, Florida, you can give them a call in advance and say, Hey, I'm a wish kid. I was there during and they can one confirm it and two they could you can they invite you there for like day passes yeah oh my gosh go I, would, back. I have to go when this pandemic is more under control yeah for sure <laughs> yeah. you have to go back with your son and show him do you All recall what i know this is a total tangent but it, it's related um do you recall when you went in 96 did they have you write uh your name on a star 
And did they put I, it up? I've heard, I actually follow um, a few kids um, on Instagram who have gone to Disney through Make-A-Wish. Um, and one of them um, did a video in Give, Give Kids the World. And they have this like room where there's like stars everywhere and kids get to sign it. Yes. And so I don't know if it was something that they did when I was little, but it gave me the chills to see all those names of all the children that got to go and fulfill their wish. And I I'm getting the chills now, like thinking about that. It was just amazing and inspiring. Um, and so if I can go back and visit, I think that that would be, wow, that I didn't know I could do that. So yes, I am like, so on, I'm totally doing it. Right after this call, you got to go online, look up, <laughs> give this the world blind, yeah. and get in contact with them. Another thing I got to tell you, that's also really cool. Um, you know, at the airing of this episode, we would have already aired hers, ep her episode, which is for Erin O'Brien. And Erin's mm -hmm. wish was also to go to Disney World. Her wish was granted back in 1990. And she, like you, didn't have the experience when she physically went as a little kid to write down her name on a star mm -hmm. and put it up there. She re she went back. I, I yeah, don't say, tell like, me they let her write her name. Dude, yes. So she Ooh. went back like three or four years ago as an oh. adult with her husband. And a friend of hers and they went back and she was able to write her name and they put it up there for her yep it's oh my gosh. wild to do that that you, know, you got to do it, it i it, think it's gonna really make it all full circle i have yes. like tears in my eyes thinking about it but oh my gosh that's amazing you gotta I'm make so the excited. Trip. <laughs> i know i'm so excited for you i mean I have to say you know i had my wish was to go on a cruise so i feel sometimes a little jealous of, oh, like, I'm sorry, dude. Like for real, because I, I I think about like for Disney wishes, they do such an amazing job with those wishes, and then we give kids the world. They just take it to the next level with yeah. all those extra stuff. Like I don't right. have, I can't go back to a physical place. I mean, maybe yeah. I can find the ship again. It was Queen Elizabeth too. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> me too. I remember uh, you telling me that when we first met. Actually, do you? <laughs> yes. Yeah. My brain's not so bad. Oh, oh. there you go. Hey. <laughs> Shout out I to all the survivors out there. Book, actually, from the first time I was there. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So for those that are listening, Sam is holding up an a, a really like, cute autographs. Yeah. Wow, she has autographs of all the characters. She has Goofy. Yeah. Wow. Mickey Mouse. Rafiki. <laughs> that is so cool from the Lion King. Yeah. Uh, and it's like a it's hologram cover it. on that autograph. Yeah. That's very to Samantha with love. I don't know who. I think that's Donald Duck, maybe. No. Do you know who that is? No. Who is this? As you have a signature from Delta Burke. Oh, she's who's that? Actress. She's like a big time actress from like back in the day. Oh. Google well, her. You have to Google her after. You'll, she was, I think, in a show called Designing Woman. Designing oh. Woman. Um, Delta. How did you get Delta Burke's signature? <laughs> but Gene Wilder also actually wrote me a note when I was little. He played Willy Wonka. Yes. And the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. And I wow. have a, a letter from him sending um, me like love. And um, yeah. I, first of all, I'm, I'm like floored that you have a signature from Delta Burke in your <laughs> character <laughs> autograph book. That's like so cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, you definitely have to IMDb her right after this because I will a bunch of stuff. Um, but moving along on the shooting yes. star segment. So, okay. you know, how what would you tell somebody in the community that wants to get involved with a local charity? What would you tell them about getting involved with Make-A-Wish Hudson Valley and 
and why it's so important to get in touch with us? Um, for everything you just heard, you know, um, it's a, gives you a sense of community and belonging um, to this network of people who are just wonderful and caring. Um, and it gives you like a lifelong connection and friend. Um, I still speak to um, some of the people who I connected with back in 2008. Well, you as well, but um, there's another woman I'm thinking of who I also uh, check in on, you know, every once in a while. And this actually, this phone call makes me want to get involved again. You know, um, <laughs> I had a few busy years there, but I definitely will be, you know, reaching back out to um, get involved. And I remember I actually got to participate in someone's wish. Um, yes. They had a shopping spree in Macy's. I remember mm -hmm. they came in this big limo and we like rolled out a red carpet and she, I think wanted to have like a room makeover. Um, and like that was years ago. And that really stands out in my mind as one of the most special days um, because I got to, you know, just bear witness to that joy that Make-A-Wish brings to Wish Kids. So, yeah, and that that opportunity was actually through our Macy's Believe campaign, where we okay. had a, a particular day that Macy's would select every year that was called Believe Day, and Believe Day was the day that we were able to highlight or spotlight a wish that we were granting locally, and that okay. particular child had her wish there, and we invite volunteers and yeah. alumni and anyone that's available in the community to come out and just yeah. cheer them on as they're yeah. coming into the store. And I, if I remember correctly, I think you were either, you either brought your own sign or you were given a sign to hold or something. I, I, I think we have pictures of that. So yes. I, I got to look it up. Sign, um, and we sort of like, just, we were like her little parade um, yes, and we were her groupies. section um, where she was going and she's like, I want this. And we're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And she was just like, her whole face lit up. Her family was just so happy. It was such an amazing thing to be a part of. And so if for nothing else, for that, it made it all worth it. That's awesome. Uh, and that's a great memory. And really part of our, our chapter history, because those Believe Day opportunities for volunteers and WISH alumni and members of the community that can get involved in it, it's such an easy thing. What does it take for you to take a half hour to put together a sign, meet yep. us there, you know, in the morning to greet them as they're coming out the limo. And, you know, there's, there's so much goodness in that. And so it's so simple, but yet so impactful because yes. obviously you still remember it many years later and, and you were on the other side of it. Imagine her, she's thinking about it probably still today as a huge memory of hers to have all yeah. these people out there just for her. It's yeah. so special, um, which I want to go now to the last question of the shooting star segment, which is in one word, how would you describe Make-A-Wish? remarkable remarkable that's the first thing you said to say the first thing that comes to my head <laughs> yes um yeah remarkable just everything that you do for people um their memories that you have with you forever um and i mean my wish was one week of my life you know when i was six years old and i'm 30 and it's, I have, I have all these little pieces that I still have, you know, keep, I have my pen, I have my autograph book. Um, I even have a little 
postcard from the mayor of that village um who i happened to be afraid of at the time but um yeah let's i know that's a total cycle too but let's talk about mayor clayton i mean you said that in uh, that you were afraid of him when you were yeah. six like, years old funny i was afraid of him uh, <laughs> but he still came to my room to tuck me in and just sort of left me a little note and like a little gift basket um and i still have that note that he wrote wrote me um that's awesome you know, it's just, it's remarkable what you do for people's lives and how you alter the the way we view life also. Um, It's just, it's life affirming, life changing. um, Because, you know, you don't just look at the kid, you also look at the family. And I think that that's something that a lot of people forget to do. Um, When someone's diagnosed with cancer, everyone around them who loves them and, you know, lives with them and it it affects them so strongly as well. And by not just, you know, obviously you're not going to send a six-year-old by themselves to Florida, but, um, but you included my family in everything. And I remember they gave um, Make-A-Wish gave us um, each kid $20 a day towards souvenirs and in 1996. That was a lot of money. Sure. Uh, and while I spent my $20 every day, <laughs> I, my brothers, I remember one of my brothers saved it up to buy one big thing at the end. Smart. Um, and so it was just like, not just me, like I didn't just get it. Like all of my siblings and I have a big family, like there are five children, you know, uh, (laughs) that came and my parents and they flew us all there and, you know, took care of everything. And just for my whole family to go through my cancer diagnosis, like nights where my mom didn't sleep at home because she was with me in the hospital and, you know, they didn't have a mom for a while. They didn't have a dad for a while because, they were so focused on me surviving and me getting through this. Like your siblings also like have a really hard time. It's, and that trip, that wish just was like a reset in our life. Um, and it just like, it like sometimes brings me to tears just thinking about it. Um, Cause it like brought my family closure and allowed us to sort of move forward and, um, leave all that hurt behind. So, wow, yeah, remarkable is the word. I love this, Sam. Well, thank you so much to Samantha for joining us today. Yeah, and, thank and you so us. much. This was this was wonderful, and it was great to catch up with you. And to our listeners, remember you can always refer to our show notes for additional information about the topics we discussed today. We also invite you to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Let us know how we're doing and any questions you may want us to add to our Shooting Star segment. Special thanks to the executive producers of the Wish House podcast, Jillian Rodriguez and Sydney Wolf. Shout out to Wish alum Brian Chin for providing us with our Wish House podcast theme music. And finally, from all of us at the Wish House, stay safe and stay healthy.